again, and we, we are progressing through the longest chapter in the Bible, uh, uh, according to my count here, 19 lessons, and we are starting on verse 65. Uh, and again, we call this the treatise on the Word of God. Now, if they ask you to write a treatise in college and you give one point of view, you're in big trouble. Because a treatise is supposed to be many different angles. Actually, a true treatise would be dealing with the subject from every conceivable angle. It is the complete treatment of an idea or subject. And Psalm 119 is the treatise, is God's treatise on the Word of God. It's what the Bible will do in your life, how it will affect your soul, the part it is supposed to play. And, and again, uh, 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 it has been described as the prayer diary of the author of the psalm. And, and we see his growth. We see him reaching uh, up as he starts out. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? And then he talks about running into trouble. And he has the hope. But then we hear that the Lord, look at verse 50. He said, this is my comfort in my affliction for thy word hath quickened me. God's answering those prayers that were offered earlier in the passage. And uh, we come down here to 57 through 64. We finished that up last Thursday night. And we said that was the comfort in the way. And we're going to try to deal with the teth or the ninth set of eight verses here. The teth strophe as it is called. Each word here, each verse, if we understood in New Hebrew, we would see that it began with that same letter. Since we don't understand and know Hebrew around here, we just won't worry about it. Amen. Not trying to make light of the subject at all, but I don't know that it will do us a, a great deal of good to study all of the Hebrew phraseology if we miss the meaning of the words. And that's where we've got to go. We start here and I, I've entitled this one, Understanding in the Way. The theme of the entire psalm is outlined in the first eight verses. And the first verse is just that capstone. It says everything in just one little phrase. It says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. I mean, that's where the Christian ought to be. Amen? And yet, if we were to ask the question, uh, the question, how many of you felt like you were there this week? I mean, we're just walking in that. Most people would say, well, pastor, I'm trying. Uh, students are saying, I sure am thinking about a lot of things. I don't know how far I got in my walk, but I'm thinking about a lot of things. But here, the psalmist is finally able to start understanding what God and what God's Word has done in his life. Have you ever looked at a situation in your life you, and you just said, I see it now. 
I know what God was trying to do. Tell you what, it's wonderful. Now, if you ever get there, don't worry. You won't be there for long. Because what happens is, if you get to the point where you think you really understand what's going on, pride kicks in. And that puts you out of the way now, doesn't it? Serving God and walking that way is a struggle that you will struggle every day till Jesus comes back or the Lord gives you traveling papers. Somebody said, I love Christianity. The retirement benefits are just out of this world. Amen. Uh, little pun there, a little fun way to think about things. But when God's done with you, he will move you on. So you better keep busy working until God gives you moving papers. Amen? And so we look here in verse 65, and instead of speaking future tense, he's now looking back and speaking past tense. I mean, I hear people all the time, God sure being good. And usually that is related to something that we deem very good that's happened in our life. Isn't that true? And many times we mistakenly attribute that phrase to things that we absolutely have nothing to do with. It's just like, it's a beautiful day. God sure is good because I wanted to go out and sit in the park today. Now, if you went out and sat in the park today, you just need to take a bucket of ice along to sit in the bucket, right? I mean, to keep cool, it's hot. And, and, but we often attribute that idea that God has been good when something that we really like happens. I, I want to challenge you that's really not what the psalmist is thinking, and that really ought not, be, ought, ought not to be what we are thinking. Yes, we ought to praise God when good things are happening. But look at, the, look at the focus of the psalmist here. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. When's the last time you sat down at the end of the day if God gave you a few moments just to sit and look back on the things of the day and said, I saw your word today, God. That's what the psalmist is talking about. He said, I saw your word in action. Lord, you've dealt well with me. I can see that you're working in my life. And as we go down through here, we're going to see some things that aren't so pleasant. He's going to thank God for affliction. He's going to say, you've afflicted me. It was good. And I tried to say this, and I tried to mean it with my whole heart. You know, God is never anything but good. There's never a time when God is not good. God is always good. God can be nothing else but good. In fact, God is the only one, according to the testimony of Christ to the rich young ruler, who can be good. But isn't it wonderful as you struggle through this life when God gives you a moment to stop and look and say, 
I can see it. God, I can see that everything that you've done in my life is good because it matches up with thy word. You have dealt well with me according to thy word. You want to see God's goodness in this world. We certainly see enough of man's sin now, don't we? I mean, we certainly see enough of the shortcomings of man. But if you want to see more of God's goodness in this world, study this book. Uh, but more than study it, we'll get there in just a moment. Live it. As you live God's word, how many of you are glad you're saved tonight? The heat can't take it away, now can it? They can't tax it. They cannot take away your relationship with God. Aren't you glad that God's dealt with you according to his word? He says, I give unto them what? Eternal life. I'm glad God has dealt with me according to his word. I'm glad that God is my father. And, and when I step out of the way and when, when I get to the point to where I, I just am not feeling the things that I ought to feel, I feel some things from God aren't always pleasant. But God will move you back into the way when he has to. Amen? I mean, my father believed in raising his kids. Sometimes right up off the floor. Amen? But it was necessary. And our heavenly father, read the book of Hebrews chapter 12. It says we're supposed to be encouraged when God shows up and says, No! When Joey hears those words, hmm? no. And then he asks the same question second time. And he's going to learn. He's only two. He's, but he'll learn that no means no. But it's going to take a while. How many adults don't know the meaning of the word no? I mean, stop and think about it. But God has been good. Amen. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant according unto thy word. The next moment he moves and he builds on this. Teach me good judgment and knowledge for I have believed thy commandments. Now doesn't that sound opposite? Doesn't that almost sound backwards? He says teach me good judgments. Teach me good judgment. I'm sorry. And knowledge. For I have believed thy commandments. Usually we say, I believe God's word and therefore I'm going to do God's word. Now the psalmist here has put it this way on purpose. He said, listen, God, you've dealt good with me just the way the Bible says. But I don't know everything I need to know to live. So I want you to teach me. I didn't stop and count. But already in the first 66 verses of this song. Teach, 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 teach. 
it is not a command, it is a plea. God, teach me. Teach me good judgment. Now, how many of you like to have good judgment? Do you only need good judgment when you come to church? I mean, would it help to have good judgment at work? Um, my dad was a machinist. He took big pieces of metal and made little pieces out of it. You know what? He needed good judgment. He needed to know how to put it in the machine and how to set the machine and what kind of cutter to use and all those different things so that when it was all said and done, what was on the blueprint was actually in the part box at the end of the day. Otherwise, you got in trouble. But we make decisions every day. We need good judgment. How many of you wish 30 years ago somebody had told you about all the things that you ate 30 years ago that have come back to haunt you in latter days? If I just had a little better judgment when I was young and could get away with it, now when I'm middle-aged and can't, I'd be in a little better shape. Amen? I mean, we need good judgment in every area of our life. How are we going to get it? Well, you have to pray for it, but it's not just this empty prayer, God, give me good judgment. He says, the reason why you can give me good judgment, Lord, the reason why you can give me knowledge is because I have. I've made a pattern in my life of believing your commandments. I mean, does anybody remember watching reruns, Father Knows Best, the silly television show? It ought to have been renamed. The real name is Father is a Blithering Idiot. Only Mama knows how to run the house. I mean, if you ever watch that thing, that's the storyline. Father steps up and says, yes, we know what to do. And then Mama straightens the whole thing out. Listen. You know that God is right. Amen? I mean, why would you be a church if you didn't believe that? But when you're faced with a decision on how you're going to live your life tomorrow, is it going to be based upon you know God is right, or is it going to be based upon I just got to do the best I can? It doesn't work that way. If we really believe God's commandments, we have to admit that God's Word is right. I, I can't tell you how many people over the years we've talked with and, and, and uh, counseled and, and uh, my wife and I will get together and we'll pray and we'll say, boy, I just don't know if that person's going to make it or not. Because they're willing to be obedient to God here, 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 and here but not over here. And when you do that, you're saying, God, I know, you're, I know you know what's best, but I just can't believe you here. The psalmist didn't have that problem. 
He said, Lord, I just believed your commandments. Because I believed your commandments. Whoa, there we go. I'm asking you to teach me good knowledge and judgment. Have you ever met anybody that just quoted Bible verse after Bible verse and had no idea what they were doing with them? Oh, I have. Boy, they're scary people. Can't remember where I was, and one of my kids said, Tony Alamo's been here again. Now, you guys probably never heard of him, but he just got out of jail again, and uh, uh, he has hundreds of scripture references in his little paper, but uh, the real mark of holiness is having more than one wife at the same time. Uh, I think that's the mark of a perverted man. That's what the Bible tells me. It's not too hard to figure out how a perverted man actually... Uh, I'm not going to tell that joke. But anyway, I saw a picture in one of his early publications of his first wife. Kind of helps you understand. But he was the dummy that married her, amen? Listen. Teach me good judgment. There is every kind of preacher under the sun out there wanting to reap your benefits. Every kind of salesman, every kind of dealer in the world is wanting you to send them your money. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. Now, I put in here, knowledge puffeth up. If you don't have good judgment, knowledge is not going to do you a bit of good now, is it? You've got to have both. And he's saying, listen, I understand God's been good to me. He's just fulfilled His Word in my life. Lord, teach me how to use it more. I started right. I want to finish right. But look at where he goes the next thing. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. Does anybody know what it is to live life without boundaries of any kind? I'm glad I don't. But some parents believe that they just need to turn their child loose upon the world. And follow your heart. And the Bible says you end up in hell. You want to really destroy somebody's life. Give them everything they want. You can't destroy a life any quicker than that. Illustration? Lottery winners. Just study the history. All of a sudden, this guy doesn't have enough money to buy a sandwich. He takes his last buck. He borrows 50 cents, takes the 50 cents in his pocket. And what was it? He won $47 million or something here in New York State with that last lottery ticket. You know, all of a sudden, he had friends and wives and everybody he didn't even know he had. 
I mean, everybody was coming. And before the whole thing was over, he was back living on the street as a homeless man, worse than he was when he started. And that's just one of many stories. Can you trust God when he afflicts you? Now, I've never told my children this because I don't believe in telling them lies. Now, I'm going to punish you. This is going to hurt you more than it is me. That's not what punishment's about. Amen? Punishment is to inflict enough discomfort to say, hey, you don't want to do this again. Amen? And I'm not talking about abusing your children. I just get so sick of that talking about helping your children learn how to live. Putting some barriers that are real. Letting them know what the meaning of words are. The psalmist here said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. It is the natural tendency of the heart of mankind and womankind to do what you want to do. A little baby is born. Its fists are clenched, are they not? We think it's really cute when that little hand reaches out and grabs a hold of that finger and just holds it. But so many times that baby's saying, I want... And as they get older, you've got to teach them. The psalmist said, listen, before I was afflicted, I went astray. He said, but now I'm keeping your word. That means something happened in the between. Phrase one and phrase two of that verse. It's not a pleasant thing. But you know what? God will use suffering to keep you in the way. And if I'm in the way, I'm a whole lot better off than if I'm than if I am not in the way. We often pass out tracks, and one of the answers, I don't know how many times you heard it this week, guys. I'm okay. I don't need one of those. Wait a minute. We tell God the same thing as Christians, don't we? Lord, Lord, I've... I've had enough of those afflictions. You could just hold off for a little while. It's summertime. Can't I have a little vacation? Listen, when the Lord afflicted, it made the psalmist seek the Lord. Isn't it easier to pray when something is going wrong? Should it be easier to pray when something's going wrong? No, prayer is communication with God. It ought to be easy to pray at all times. Just do the. I mean, on Sunday night when we have our prayer meeting, we like to take a moment and just thank God. And uh, Philip and Esther, I mean, they're just... What can I give a praise for tonight? I mean, they're just thinking. i got to say something. And uh, that, that's good to a point. 
But try that sometime in your private prayer time with God. Just take five minutes and say, Lord, I'm not going to ask you for anything. You'll find that's an awful long five minutes. But if you have something that's really burdening your heart and weighing you down, boy, it's not hard to pray for five minutes. God, help me. Lord, I need you to answer this prayer. If we could get to that point where we didn't need affliction, do you think God would put it there anyway? Absolutely not. Because he's dealt well with me according to his word. Amen. God is not just making you suffer because he enjoys listening to the screams of his children. God afflicts us because we need to be pushed into the way. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now, hey, now that afflictions come, I have, do you notice that's past tense? I have kept thy word. Lord, I did it. And then he builds on that. He said, I trust God in affliction. We talk about faith all the time, do we not? Faith is believing God's word to the point you live it. That's what James chapter 2 is all about. If there's no works, don't tell me how much you love God if nothing's changing in the way you walk. Don't tell me how much you believe God's word if you're willing to purposefully disobey it. It says here, Thou art good and doest good. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. Thou art good. And do is good. Boy, it almost sounds like part of Brother Marshall's sermon last night, doesn't it? Yeah, we drove out to Mastic Beach with be with Brother Palman uh, last night, and the preacher that was there was preaching on repentance. God, you're right. I'm wrong. Listen, when when God afflicts us, the first reaction. Go back to verse 25. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Lord, it's terrible here. He says, here, he says, I've been in affliction. Thou art good and doest good. Isn't it nice when you're walking with the Lord? Kind of reminds me of those little dogs. You see them on those funny-looking little leashes. And if you have one, I'm not trying to be mean to you, but I, I've seen people put them little leashes with the retractor in the thing, and they'll put that little dog on there, and you hear this scraping sound. The dog's not walking. The dog has decided to stand there and look at somebody or something or sniff something and check something out, and the person that owns that dog has decided to keep on moving and you just hear those little claws scraping on the sidewalk as the person keeps moving and the, and the dog is there. And, and I don't know how many preachers I've heard say, God dragged me kicking and screaming into the ministry. Uh, that's not 
the psalmist responds here. He's saying, listen, I, my eyes are open. God, I don't want you dragging me kicking and screaming anywhere. By the way, God doesn't drag anybody kicking and screaming anywhere. Now, there's a sad note because that will happen one day. But it won't be God doing the dragging. It'll be the angels. And it won't be into God's will. It'll be away from God forever. It says, thou shalt bind them hand and foot. Scary thought. Could we not ask that God would change our heart to agree? He said, thou art good and doest good. And then his response, his rebuttal to that. Teach me thy statutes. I mean, that word statutes is the same base word we get the word statue from. It means laid in stone. It means unmovable, unchangeable. God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't reorganize things to make it easier on us because the easiest and the best thing that could happen in your life is just simple obedience to what God already said. And so he says, Thou art good, teach me thy statutes. And look where he goes in the next verse. He's using this, bouncing these ideas, this contradiction. He said, I was afflicted. And then he said, the proud have forged a lie against me. Now, how many of you have actually had someone do that? I mean, forge a lie. I mean, the idea of forging is they didn't just sit down and say, oh, I hate your guts. What can I say bad about you to make them look bad? No, the forging process... It's a blacksmith term. He takes that metal and he purposefully heats it up to where it's soft and malleable so he can beat it with that hammer and use the different tools on it so that it will be carefully crafted to fit the use for which he has designed it. We live in a day when people believe in forging lies. They work carefully and cunningly. They plan. They have a media blitz go out in front of them. Uh, get ready. Election season is coming up. They're forging the lies. As we speak, they're preparing. I saw one campaign, maybe you'll recognize this phrase, it says, so-and-so for Congress, we know where they stand. And I'm thinking, yeah, just to the left of Obama is where they stand. One of the most liberal people in all the Congress. And you can see the stickers all over a story if you want to. Listen, the proud. David is still, I believe David wrote this, and, and I'm not going to be dogmatic again because the Bible doesn't tell us, but how many times was David lied about? How many times did they, Saul say, listen, he's lying in wait. He's trying to kill me. We've, we've got to kill David or he's going to kill us. Is David going to take care of you guys? I'm going to take care of you, but we've got to get David before I can do it. 
He said, the proud have forged a lie against me. But I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. He said, you know what my effort's going to be? My effort is not going to be expended fighting the lie and the liar. My effort is going to be expended obeying my God and my Savior. We got something going on here? Okay. Everybody's looking at the ceiling. Um, it says, The proud have forged a lie, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. He said, I learned. I learned what the answer is. The answer is in the Word of God. Can you trust God? He's saying, listen, I understand. God, you've been good to me. I understand your words are trustworthy words. I understand that when you afflict me, it's for my good and it's going to bring me closer to you. I understand that you're good and you do good. I understand that when they are working to destroy me, you are my only protection. This next one seems almost out of line. It says their heart is as fat as grease. But I will delight in thy law. Now, how many of you have ever been put on a bland diet? Or they take that little piece of white meat and they poach it. And they trim all the skin off of it. It used to be called chicken. But when you get that little piece of dried up, looks like a paper towel that's been wadded up, they call it healthy. You know, it has no flavor at all. I remember eating one time something and I said, what, what? I'm not, what was that? And he said, oh, we took all the fat out. We cooked the hamburger up and we washed it in water and then we put it back in. I said, that's what it tasted like. <laughs> not out loud. Uh, you know what? You, you need just a little bit of that fat in the meat to give it some flavor now, don't you? To give it a little moistness so you can chew it. But here it says their heart is as fat as grease. You ever get the grease by accident? Oh, that, that looks like that looks like chicken broth. No, that was something else. You know what the grease is? It's what's left over after you're done cooking. Does anybody here ever cook with lard? I knew a guy used to take the lard and stick a spoon in there and just spread it out on a piece of bread like butter. I, I can't do that. I just can't do it. It's too, 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 too much. Just a little bit, really. Me, But what happens when you get too much of that, too much grease? 
Makes you sick now, doesn't it? You know what happens when you get filled with your own ways? Even the best, the most flavorful part makes you sick now, doesn't it? It says their heart is consumed, is so overburdened with the fatness and all the things that they think are going to be good to them. Have you heard the new thing all of the, uh, the rich people in this country are doing now? Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, they've spent their entire lives making incredible fortunes of billions and billions of dollars. Now, if you're going to be a real millionaire and attain the greatest thing, you're going to give half of your fortune away before you die. They have that. It's a pledge that they're asking other billionaires. They're, they're talking to our mayor. I hope he has enough guts to say, no. But you know what is going on here? Would you think $5 billion would be enough? Or $100 billion would be enough? I don't know what Warren Buffett's worth now, but it's, it's in the hundreds of billions of dollars. And he's saying all that money's not enough. I got to make a bold step and start giving it all away. Well, why didn't he start doing that 50 years ago? like the Bible says to do. Then you can have a whole lifetime full of joy, amen? <laughs> Instead of being a stingy old man trying to find some meaning to your money. That's what it means their heart is fat with is grease. They've got every, I mean, it's just stuff full. By the way, what happens when you get too much of that stuff floating around in your arteries and everything? That old ticker just stops beating now, doesn't it? He says, but I delight in thy law. He says, Lord, the most wonderful pleasure I have is this book called the Bible. I put the word separation in your outline there because that mentality will separate you from the world. It will protect you. We ordered a new map for the back wall there. We put a big world map in the center and the back. And all oh, sometime we'll get that put back up there for our missionaries and things. And I said, Anita, here's this thing. The only place I know to get the map is one of those air mall catalogs. And so I ripped the page out of the plane. I brought it to Anita. And I said, Anita, will you make this order? Two weeks later, five magazines show up. Anita Berry. Next week, five more. I mean, we have thrown away, since she's ordered that map, we have thrown, am I, am I being ridiculous, Anita? We've thrown away a stack of catalogs that big. Every one of them say, oh, you've got to have what's in this catalog. Say, good night. We'll make our own map. I'll get uh, Philip and Esther up there and let them draw it with crayons or something. At least we won't get all that advertising, amen? My delight is in the law of the Lord. That word delight, it comes from the idea of a nursing child. 
that little child, that little baby. Boy, I'll tell you what. You, you picked Jason up the wrong way. And he's going, Mama, Mama, Mama. He can't say anything yet, but he's sure making known that's what he wants. Could we do that with the Word of God? Our chiefest pleasure, our greatest joy. And by the way, you could take an aged, seasoned porterhouse steak and fry it or cook it on the grill to the best and put it right there beside Jason and it's absolutely meaningless to him. Now, it sure would do something to Dad and all the brothers and sisters. But Jason, it's meaningless. You know why? Because he naturally wants what's best for him. That's that word delight. Are we swimming in the grease? Or are we delighting in God's word? That's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying those people that are swimming in the grease, they're the ones that are forging those lies. They're making the sword sharp. But I'm, I'm going to keep his precepts with my whole heart. Now look what he says here in verse 72. We'll get this done. 71. It is good for me. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. When's the last time you ever told the Lord that? That is a sign of spiritual maturity. That is a sign that you're finally getting where God wants you to be. You see, as we go through this psalm early on in verse 23, he said, the princes are sitting and they're talking against me. They're speaking against me. He says here, the, the proud have forged a lie. I'm just going to keep God's word. He said, it's good for me to have been afflicted. Why? That I might learn thy statutes. How many of you have ever said, well, I guess you're just going to have to learn it the hard way? Huh? Well, God says, I guess you're just going to have to learn it the hard way. And the psalmist said, I just learned something the hard way. God sure is good. Could we do that? Would we ask God to change our attitudes? It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Now look at verse 72, the capstone of this one. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Sometime I'd like to try to test that point. Lay down a Bible right beside a hundred dollar bill. That's not thousands. But how many people would pick up the $100 bill first? Say, Pastor, I love the Bible. I'd put my foot on the $100 bill and pick up the Bible first, right? 
I mean, we figure some way around this thing. But that's the psalmist here. And if David was the psalmist, boy, this sure fits. Didn't he have access to thousands in gold and silver? Who knows what David did with the greatest riches that he ever obtained in his life? He put them all aside for the building of the temple. You ought to read some of those things. I can't remember the exact number, but Solomon had an income of 666, you ever hear that number before? Talents of gold in one year. Solomon had that kind of income. But you read there, David had over a thousand talents of gold set aside for the temple preparation. I mean, David wasn't kidding. A talent is 75 pounds of silver. Each one of those pounds contains 13 troy ounces in our figuring today. About $1,200 times 13 will give you a pound. Multiply that by 75 and you'll get one talent. We're not talking penury here, my friend. And David could have spent those things. He was the king. In fact, when Solomon came along, uh, as far as we can tell, he completely ignored the palace of David and built something that was so much more spectacular, no one ever talks about David's palace. They sure do talk about Solomon's. He said, thy law, the law of thy mouth, Read your Bible sometime. When you're doing your Bible reading schedule, you ought to ask God to bring certain things out. As you're reading your Bible, you ought to just look for the word of the Lord. God said, Thus saith the Lord. This is what David is talking about. To have God's direction. To have that prophet stand there and say, thus saith the Lord. And I'll tell you, there are some times when those prophets said some things to David that were not pleasant at all. But David said, to be obedient to thy law is worth more than anything I can have. Jesus told his church, the church of Laodicea. He said, you think you're rich, but you're poor. You think you have everything you need. Told one of the other churches, he says, you think you're poor. He says, but let me tell you something, you're rich. Why? Because that poor church had what they needed. If you'll have what you need, if you'll be in this book, you will have what you need if you're in this book. This is how the psalmist is treating. He's showing us. He's saying, listen, I've grown enough in my spiritual relationship to God to understand that all those bad things that used to get me so upset are still happening. In fact, they're worse now than they ever were. He doesn't say, I'm going to ignore them. 
You ever meet a parent trying to discipline their child that way? <laughs> Screaming and throwing a temper tantrum. I'm ignoring him. I don't ignore my kids when they throw temper tantrums. I give them lots of special attention. I give them immediate and complete undivided attention of their father. Because they got a problem we need to get fixed. Amen? Amen. But I'll tell you what, it's not the same kind of attention when I give them when they say, Daddy, look at the picture I colored you. I'll tell you what, I like the second one a whole lot better than the first one. Amen. But the psalmist says, it is good for me that I've been afflicted. I'm standing as an adult and I'm saying, I'm glad my dad took enough time and enough effort to set some barriers in my life. I'm glad my heavenly father has not withheld his hand when it was necessary to push me in the way that I should go. I want to praise the Lord that not every day is a losing battle to be undefiled in the way. Amen? But it's still a struggle. And it will always be as long as you're in this human flesh. Confidence, comfort, understanding. We see that line of maturity going up in the life of the psalmist. Uh, by the way, we're going to see it come back down before we get to the end. But then we're going to see it go up again. If you want the answer, it's in the book. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. Lord, we ask that you would take these words of this section of this psalm and, ask, and just open our eyes, Lord. We ask that we would be able to see your hand moving in our lives. Lord, maybe someone here tonight is in the throes of affliction. Lord, let them see your goodness. Lord, if someone here tonight is in a situation where they say, I just cannot see anything good here. Lord, we ask that they be willing to open your word and start to really read and know what it says. Obedience is the key to our protection, Lord. We just ask that you would help us to live your word. And of course, our greatest burden, Lord, if someone is here tonight and unsaved, that tonight would be the night they would allow someone to take this book called the Bible and just show them from God's word what you say about being saved, how that they can put their simple faith and trust in the God who saved them and know their sins are forgiven and heaven is their home. Lord, we ask you to do your work that we may be your servants. In Jesus' name we pray. And just